Blog Talk Radio. I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front, my face on the front page, only if I had one gun, one girl and one crib, one God to show me how to do things his son did, pure, like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151, one sip will make a nigga flip, writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence, who I'm gonna body, this hood politics, acknowledge it, leave bodies chopped up in garbage, seeds watch us, grow up and try to follow us, police watch us, roll up and try knocking us, one knee, I up. Could it be my time is up with my love? I got up. The cops shot again. Bust stop glass burst. A fiend drops a Heineken. Ricocheting between the spots that I'm hiding in. Blacking out. I shoot back. Fuck getting hit. This is my hood. I'm a rat. To the death of it. To everybody. Come on. Little niggas is grown. Hood rats. Don't abortion your wound. We need more warriors soon. Sit from the stars, sun and the moon. And it's like a police chase. Street sweepers and coppers. Sick up kids with no conscience. Leaving victims with doctors. If you really think you're ready to die. We're not out. This is what is about, nigga. The time is now. All I need is one mic. All I need is one mic. All I need is one mic. All powers to oppress people. African power to an African people. It's your brother, National Chairman Yang and Krumah, People's Black Panther Party, Independence Black Talk Radio. Once again, coming to you on another Monday. As always, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to address my people and rap with my people. You know the spiel. You know the spiel. This is your radio program, an opportunity for you to share with us your comments, opinions, critiques, criticisms, concerns, anything you have. Uh, man, we're open, you know, and I love addressing the people. Tonight, well, I'm, I wanna, what I want to do is start to run a series, you know, and this isn't going to be the last time. This series will, will go on until we complete it. And the series is going to be on Panther ideology, politics, and methods. Panther ideology, politics, and methods. And one of the reasons that I felt that this was necessary, that it was so important to begin to do a series like this, with the various Panther formations, there's no reason that we shouldn't have some functioning unity. There's no reason why all of these Panther formations shouldn't have come together and um, begin to work collectively to, uh, be, to start this transformation process, this revolutionary transformation process, for the empowerment and advancement of African people here in America. And the only thing that could be dividing us, the only thing that could be causing um, these obstacles, stopping us from coming together, is our lack of understanding of ideology. So I felt that as a national chairman of the People's Black Panther Party, it was imperative, it was necessary to explain the 10-point uh, platform and program from the from the People's Black Panther Party, Black Nationalist, Revolutionary Black Nationalist Party standpoint and perspective. So we're going to start with number one. We want we want freedom. We want the power to practice self determination and determine the destiny of our community 
and the black nation. We believe in the spiritual high moral code of our ancestors. We believe in the truths of the Bible, the Quran, and other sacred scriptures and writings. We believe in math and the principles of Nguza Saba. We believe that black people will not be free until we are able to determine our divine destiny. So let's begin with this freedom. We want freedom. What does this mean? I think one of the things that hinder us from the road of freedom are really achieving this lofty aim of freedom is we don't understand what freedom means. Are we having come together and said collectively, this is what we determine freedom to mean? We've been sidetracked and duped into thinking because we possess a few uh, belongings. Have we move in a big house? We move out of the neighborhood, or we drive drive a car that we think to be nice, or one of the most, or the latest models, or we wear the latest fashion that we have arrived. But a people, when you look at freedom, a to truly be free means that you have the right to determine your own destiny. And determining your own destiny also goes into knowing that you control the institutions that distribute the wealth. It's not enough just to have the wealth. I was reading a book, and in this book, the uh, author makes a very good point. He says, if the slave master invited the slave to move into the big house, to move into the largest house on the plantation, to have his dwellings and to have his bedroom and all of these things, even if this slave master allowed the slave to wear his clothes and to eat the foods that he had eaten, that slave still wouldn't be free because it is the slave master who controls the power. It's the slave master who allows this slave to do these things. So that so material possessions aren't freedom. Dealing with the people who have been repressed, when you're dealing with the people who have been deprived of any type of ease, in their living conditions, it's easy to get these things confused. So I think that uh, us as African people in here in America, we have to define exactly what freedom is. What does this freedom mean to us? You see, and the only way to really ascertain what a freedom means is to begin to deal with the self. A lot of times our revolutionary formations or our progressive black organizations don't deal with self. It's easy to look outside of ourselves and to blame other people for our conditions. Now, don't misunderstand me, brothers and sisters. I'm not excusing them one of the most horrific acts perpetrated against any people in human history. The Maafa, the African Holocaust, has to be hands down one of the most horrific, barbaric, savage, brutal, despicable acts perpetrated against any people. Hands down, it has to be. But the beginning to really understand what freedom wants, it starts within the self. And in order to understand what freedom is, we must free ourselves from the desires that have been placed in us. We have to begin to free ourselves from the mental shackles. We have to begin to free ourselves from destructive behavior, from bad dietary practices, from unaccountable spending, from mislabeling or, um, yeah, mislabeling what success is. You see, as long as we think that material possessions equate success or that what we own is synonymous with being successful or having arrived, then we will, truly, we will never truly know what freedom is. So that first thing begins within us. And when we start to know what freedom is, once we start to cleanse ourselves, 
mentally, physically, morally, and ethically from things that have been implanted in our mind, from the ways that we're living, then we will start to get a clear picture of exactly what this freedom means. And when we start to get a clear picture of what freedom means, then we will begin to discuss methods to obtain that. And that is what you call self-determination. There have never been a free, loving people or people who have experienced freedom that willingly go back into slavery. You can study history. A revolutionary must be one who studies. That is a part of the revolution. There's no way around it. You can't be a revolutionary and not be studious not be a student of world history, and more specifically, revolutionary history globally, internationally. So you have to study that. And when you find, when you study that, you'll find that people who love their freedom will fight tooth and nail to avoid the shackles of colonialism, imperialism, uh, oppression, repression, or any type of thing that alters them from deciding their own destiny, takes their future that takes their own self-sufficiency out of their hands and makes them dependent on their oppressor. It's not natural. It's not natural. So this is why we say in point number one, we want freedom. And understand this, too, that we are not begging for freedom. It's not a plea to people that oppress us. We're simply making a declaration. You want to know why we behave, how we behave. You want to know why we're doing what we do, then we say we're doing this because we want freedom. This is the reason that you find the revolutionary black nationalist teaching how he teaches or she teaches, acting the way that they act, all for the efforts of self-determination, all understanding that it is only natural that any intelligent being will want to determine how they live their life. We go on to say, not only do we want freedom, not only do we want the right to practice self-determination, then we go into, because the 10-point platform is broken down into two parts. The 10-point platform is broken down into what we want and what we believe. So underneath when we're saying that we want freedom, we say that we believe in the spiritual high moral code of our ancestors. We believe in the truths of the Bible and the Quran and other sacred texts and writings. We believe in Mayat and the principles of Nguza Saba. We believe that black people will not be free until we are, uh, are able to determine our divine destiny. Why is this necessary? Why are these things necessary when we say um, what we believe in? Well, one of the reasons that they're necessary, when we go back and we were talking about, um, like I just said a few moments ago, when we talk about freedom and in order to determine what freedom is, that one has to be cleansed mentally and physically and morally. Some would translate that as spiritual. Then we're saying that we believe in these texts. As long as these texts, we believe in these spiritual systems, as long as they're guided by black liberation theology. What does that mean, Brother Yanker? It means that despite our faith, our religious practices, the guiding point of those religious practices, the guiding point of that religious understanding is the belief that the black liberation struggle, that liberation for black people is the most sacred aspect of those texts and those religions, that our gods, that our ancestors, that our deities, whatever word we choose from them, wants freedom, empowerment, and advancement for African people. So we believe in these things because we believe that these things can act as moral compasses 
that they can act as um, motivation and inspiration to have us to do good to our neighbors, to have us to say kindly words, to have us to shun what is destructive, not just for ourselves but for our society. So we do believe in these things, and we also believe in them because we know that these particular religious and beliefs have played very significant roles in our liberation struggle outright in the character of some of our greatest black liberation heroes, such as Nat Turner, who was a Christian, such as Harriet Tubman, such as our dear brother El Hod, Malik Shabazz, Omuwali, or more affectionately known as our brother Malcolm X, who was a Muslim. We understand that they, that these religions, played a very significant part in their lives and that they were motivating factors to get them to understand the uh, illness or to understand the evil, the outright evil and wickedness in oppressing human beings and more specifically human beings of African descent, black people. So there is some good. So what we say at the People's Black Panther Party is we're not here to be divisive. We're not here to argue with you about your faith, but we're saying that that faith should be guided by the most sacred aspect of that faith should be the liberation of African people. And if that faith motivates that, if that faith encourages that, if that faith pushes you to want to achieve that and start to modify your behavior, do that, then we embrace your faith. You can't be free being a divided people. It's impossible. The very act of your divisiveness, the very act of you going back and forth with one another inhibits and hinders your role for freedom. You see, when we begin to, we have to understand that when we say we want freedom, it's not just this physical freedom, but this freedom of thinking like our colonizers. And many of us are burdened by the uh, thought and the psychological warfare that has been waged against us. And you find this when you find us arguing about these various religions. We begin our colonizing and take on, on a supremacy understanding, a privileged position in the world. They felt that they had the authority to deem what was right and what was wrong. They felt they had the authority to begin to say what was good for you and what was uh, your role in the world, what role you played in the world. So once we begin to think like our colonizer, because we've been so long oppressed and held down by this colonizer, we begin to take on these very same traits. And instead of us fighting for our freedom, we begin to fight one another about the methods that we will attain our freedom. We begin to take on a supremacist attitude, an arrogant attitude towards our brothers and sisters. We find someone that practices a way of life differently than our way of life, and instead of fighting our enemy or our enemy being clear, clearly labeled and clearly defined, we begin to argue with our brothers and sisters. This is not freedom. When we say that we want freedom, freedom is not just from the colonizer, but freedom is the right, and we say we want the freedom to practice our own self-determination. Freedom is the right to choose what way of life best suits you as long as that way of life doesn't harm or hurt anyone else or hinder or obstruct the advancement, liberation, and empowerment of African people here in America. It's the bottom line. In order to obtain true freedom, then one must be aligned. 
One must, like we said, we believe in the high moral code of our ancestors. Then one must be aligned with their ancestors. And being aligned with our ancestors is showing a respect for our ancestors. So when we begin to attack one another about what, what they choose to use as their moral compass, what they choose to use as the basis to um, judge, to perform uh, deeds of decency, then we're in danger of disrespecting that high moral code of our ancestors who use those instruments of oppression a lot of times in a lot of instances as tools, as tools to gain their freedom. Like I quoted, I mean, like I made reference to, I did a brother whom some call prophet Nat Turner, who was a Christian. Do I profess Christianity? No, but he was a Christian. And what was that driving force? That driving force was what? Point number one, he wanted freedom. And not just freedom for himself. He wasn't disillusioned. He wasn't fooled. He wasn't deceived by material possessions. They say Nat Turner was a very intelligent man. And he could have enjoyed a life of of some type of, in slavery there is no comfort, but some type of, uh, I don't want to use the word comfort. I don't want this, that there was anything comfortable about servitude or being enslaved, but some type of privilege. He could have enjoyed the life of that by simply selling out by being a good boy. But that need for freedom, that yearning and that desire for freedom helped him to interpret those holy scriptures. It, it allowed him to see it from a different perspective. The same goes for our dear brother Omuwari. Brother Ahad Malik Shabazz, whom we affectionately know as Brother Malcolm X. It was that yearning for freedom, that desire for freedom, and not just for himself. He was super intelligent. He could have came home from prison and sold out and taken any type of job or any type of position because he was a man of that stature. He had that much, his ability was that great. But that desire for his people to be free, that desire for him and his people to be able to choose a direction that African people go in, choose what would govern African people. Like point number one says, we want the right to practice self-determination and choose a destiny, not just for black people, but for a black nation. Their view, their vision, their goals and objectives, their aims were lofty, were a lot greater than just these organizations. So when we start to understand Freedom. When we start to understand that first we have to cleanse ourselves, and once ourselves are cleansed, then we understand that we're not truly free. Our programs begin to become programs that gear us towards the methods and towards the path of freedom. We begin to do things that will start to set that ball rolling, set the chain of events, that will start the momentum for our children and our children's children and their children to take up the banner that leads us towards freedom. But somewhere along the line, we have forgot that. This is why it's important when we say we believe in the high moral code of our ancestors because our ancestors hadn't forgotten that. Our ancestors hadn't forgotten that. But, oh, brothers and sisters, your enemy is crafty. Why, he's wily. That's what he is. He's a very wily. He's cunning. And he understood this desire that the African here in America has for freedom. So he died. He, he uh, clouded the issue. He clouded the issue 
we were so deprived of a decent living. I'm not even talking about a good living. We were so deprived of a decent living that when he waved a few crumbs in our face and a few material possessions, we mistakenly took that as freedom. We begin to believe this is what freedom looks like. I can drive the car that my my oppressor drives. I can wear the clothing that my oppressor wears. In fact, I can even work at some of the same places, and now I can sit at the counter and sit at the table with my oppressor. I must arrive. But freedom, when we say practicing the right to practice self-determination and self-sufficiency, means if you don't own the institution that distributes the material possessions, you're never free. He who gives it is he who can take. Like I stated earlier in the program, if the slave master decided to say, hey, all you slaves, you move into the big house. You move into the plantation. You, 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 you can have my bedroom. You can stay in there. Some of us will mistakenly think that we've arrived while we're in master's house. We're here. But you have to understand that master put you there. And any time that master deems it, it, it to his prerogative or to his or her pleasure, the master can remove you from that house. So true freedom means controlling the institutions that control, that distribute the material wealth. And so when we understand this, then we have to understand what method will we use to distribute this wealth. Once we take the institution, start to develop and build institutions that distribute the wealth, how do we distribute it? See, this is the other half of freedom. This is why we say ideology, politics, and methods. Because without, we can have the ideology of black nationalism. We can have the ideology of a collectivism, of unity, of black solidarity. But without the politics, then we will start to implement some of the same principles that our oppressor did. And then you have, what do they call that in revolutionary politics? They call that neocolonialism. We in Atlanta affectionately call it Uncle Tomism. You have black faces in white places. You have a same system of oppression and exploitation perpetrated by a people of African descent. So then we have to have politics. True freedom means that you have shaken the shackles. You've shaken the philosophy of your oppressor. You no longer use the materials that he's given you to build your house. And so you think outside the box because you're no longer influenced by his sickness. You're no longer influenced by his perverse and depraved behavior. So you begin to build things, and this is what we have to begin to work on. But it's going to come from freeing ourselves to where we're open-minded enough to sit with other brothers and sisters and to listen to ideas, to take them in with the base core being black liberation for our people. This is the only way that we'll be successful. This is the only way that we will achieve. And this is why we at the People's Black Panther Party believe, believe wholeheartedly in point number one of the 10-point platform and program. We believe that we can work with the black Muslims who have an understanding of black liberation. We believe that we can work with the black Christians and the brothers and sisters of comedic sciences and the black Hebrews as long as that foundation 
is based on empowerment of African people. We have to stop the divisiveness. Now more than ever, we have to begin to work together so that we can practice this self-determination. We can't free ourselves from an oppressor and turn around and have some Negro who has taken on the thought process of the oppressor and have taken on this supremacist mindset to think that his way is better than my way or my way is better than his way and to sit in judgment, we will never accomplish anything that way. With the arguing and the back and forth, mind you, I'm not going to get into the uh, thing of what religion. We know historically a lot of these religions have worked to oppress us. This is why we say that as a revolutionary black nationalist, our job, my job, because I'm not a cultural nationalist. I'm not going to come over here and I'm not going to proselytize. I'm not going to try to win you over or preach you over to you to my form of theology or my form of spirituality. But as a revolutionary black nationalist, my job is to push and promote revolutionary thinking. Is to push revolutionary thinking because the revolutionary thinking is not a respect, is a respect of no, no person. It crosses the line of gender and ethnicity and every other form, age and everything like this. This is why you find other revolutionary groups, revolutionary Cubans, revolutionary Chinese, and they get it. And they get it because they practice their revolutionary nationalism. You wonder how they receive revolution because the revolutionary Chinese, whether it be Taoist, whether it be Buddhist, he understood one fact, and that that he was Chinese. We look at their history. They weren't, they weren't immune to failures and growth. We study Chairman Mao and the revolutionary Chinese movement and the revolutionary communists. The revolutionary Chinese communists fought the Chinese nationals. And when Japan invaded, invaded China, then the China revolutionary Chinese nationalists and the revolutionary Chinese communists came together to run Japan out. And eventually in that civil war in China, the revolutionary communists won but in that winning, Chairman Mao almost destroyed his country. He tried to industrialize his country. He began to move all the farmers out into the cities and start to over-industrialize and got rid of a lot of Chinese art and almost destroyed China. And then he began to realize that Marxist communism wasn't sufficient enough for Chinese people to win their freedom. So now you have what? Maoist. You have a Maoist understanding of communism and communism that is applicable and that was applicable to their particular issues and their particular problems, that he understood that he had to have no elements of nationalism ingrained in it. He had to raise the pride and the worth of the Chinese people despite their religious differences, despite their economic stations in life. That's where socialist understanding understanding came in. He understood that he had to address the needs of Chinese people. This is how he was going to achieve freedom. The same with Castro and the Cuban Revolution, which was launched in the mountains of Cuba and eventually moved into the cities. And he understood he had to incorporate the industrialists. He had to incorporate the city folks. He incorporated the agritarian, uh, Shea called it the agritarian revolution, 
he included the farmers and the landlords and the people that worked the land and the people in the rural areas. And he unified them with the people in the urban areas, the city areas. We have to end the divisiveness if we really want freedom and understand what this point number one means when we talk about self-determination, because in order for people to be self-determinists, they need every aspect of uh, elements, every element of their society for it to be functional. We need our technocrats. We need our intelligentsia. We need our doctors and our lawyers and things of that nature. If we're going to function as a nation, it is time for us to die as tribes, like Chairman Kahar always says, it's time for us to die as tribes and to be birthed as a nation. We want freedom. We want freedom. We want to be free. Let us free our minds from neocolonialist thinking. Let us free our minds. Let us free our bodies from poor dietary habits. This is why we need our own self, our health institutions, to address these issues that plague us as a people. It is time for institution building, brothers and sisters. Oh, I could get on here and 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 and, and spit some rhetoric. That would have you angry. You'd get goosebumps. You'd be ready to run out and pump the black fist and do God knows what. But at the end of the day, what would that accomplish if we don't address the issue realistically? If we don't start to look at the things that we need as a people in order to achieve this, this, this freedom. It wasn't an accident that our dear brother, Defense Minister Huey P. Newton and Chairman Bobby Seals said we want freedom as number one. It wasn't an accident. It is time for us as Panthers to take this 10-point platform and program and to make it a real political manifesto. Every nation has done it. Every nation has done it. It is time for us to study if we want freedom to be in a continuation of the revolutionary movement that has taken place in America. Already, this is nothing new. We need to stop thinking that we are reinventing or that we're doing something new and trying to reinvent the wheel. We come in a success. This is in a development, a formation of our predecessors, those that came before us. We believe in what? The high moral code of our ancestors. A lot of us scream our ancestors, but that's about as far as it goes to the throat. Do we really contemplate and think about exactly what that means? Are we really following in those footsteps? Have we learned from their mistakes? Have we celebrated their triumphs? Have we made that a part of who we are as revolutionaries here in America, as African revolutionaries here in America, fighting for our empowerment? It gets real, real. At this point, the time for empty rhetoric, sensationalism, is over if we want this freedom, if we want to achieve this. And like our dear brother Malcolm said, by any means necessary, this has to be achieved. Freedom means what? Conflict and confrontation. We have to stop being frightened of conflict and confrontation. And a lot of times, in most instances, especially at the outstart 
of a revolutionary movement, the conflict and confrontation starts within you and myself. We must be revolutionized, cleanse our ways. We have to lay down the sicknesses that have plagued us as a people. We must first acknowledge that there's sicknesses and try to lay them aside and get with brothers and sisters who have alternatives to the way that we have been thinking. And we have to be real enough and not romanticize our predecessors, but be real enough to study our predecessors, to study our history, and to add the element that it takes to make those things applicable in this day and time. It must evolve. If you don't evolve, you die. History bears witness to that. Without evolution, as death. So we have to evolve. And our revolutionary movement or the black power movement, the black liberation movement, as a drug to escape the drudgery of today, to escape the real-life issues that we're facing today. They have to be addressed if we want freedom. Self-determination takes responsibility. It takes accountability. It takes hard work. But a people who have been free understand this. And people who have been free are willing to do what it takes to maintain their freedom. Let's acknowledge the first thing is being truthful with ourselves. Do we know what freedom is? Do we know what freedom is? Have we been responsible for ourselves? See, they understood what the uh, integration, what the, the civil rights and the integrationist movement, you have to understand about our oppressor. You have to understand about our enemy. He understood that segregation only strengthened you. It only taught you self-determination. It only taught you that you could be independent. It only taught you that everything you needed to be successful, you contained right there in your community. It was right at your hand. So he had to make you dependent. And even to this day, we're still dependent. Very few of us get out and socialize with our neighbors. Very few of us get in our communities and really take a hand-on approach. We don't see the long-term goals. So we go for the quick fix, and we come up with projects, not programs, but projects, social band-aids to relieve our consciousness, to make us feel good, and they need it. I applaud the brothers and sisters who get out there and do something. But if you're not looking, if your project doesn't contain two elements, then it's a social band-aid. One of those elements being consistency. Consistency. That's why it's called a program. There must be consistency to what you're doing. And the second one is theology of self-determination. It is not enough for us just to get out here and to feed our people, but we must teach our people how to feed themselves. I've said time and time again, and you heard me say time and time again, it wasn't the food program alone that caused the government to fear the third development, whom some call the original Black Panther Party. But it was the fact that this party, the third development, was teaching self-sufficiency. They were teaching communalism. They were teaching that if we come together collectively with the foodstuffs, 
and donation of the buildings and other things like that, then we can make it. We can survive. We can be self-sustaining. And this is something that the government couldn't have, so the government came in and gave you free breakfast. I gave myself. When I say you, I'm talking about me. I'm one of the all. They gave us free breakfast. They gave us free lunch. And it wasn't the program. A lot of us got stuck on the programs. But do you think that he cared about the program? It was the ideology. You see, when you got that free breakfast in school, after that you must stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. You go to school and you have to learn a white supremacy history and a black inferiority history. See, your people were slaves in school, and their people were the founding fathers, larger than life, so large they got their heads carved on the side of mountains. If that's not arrogant, you can carve somebody's face in the side of a mountain, and you tell me white supremacy doesn't exist. I beg the difference. So once we start to change our attitude, once we start to change what we defy as success, we begin to raise our children in a different manner. Our children begin to take, uh, start to understand accountability and responsibility and obligation to an African people, and success means family. Success means healthy and strong neighborhoods. Success means wise and obedient and disciplined children. The factor begins to change. And then we begin to yearn for our own. We start to see the difference between what us having and controlling our own holds for us as opposed to other people controlling our destiny. And this is what we, as the Black Panther, the People's Black Panther Party, want. I'll read it again. We want freedom. We want the power to practice self-determination and to determine the destiny of our community and the black nation. We believe in the spiritual high moral codes of our ancestors. We believe in the truths of the Bible, the Quran, and other sacred texts and writings. We believe in Mayat and the principles of Nguza Sop. We believe that black people will not be free until we are able to determine our own divine destiny. I'm going to go to the full. I'm your, I'm your host, National Chairman, Yang and Krumah, People's Black Panther Party. This is Independence Black Talk Radio. Uh, what's on your mind Monday? I'm going to go to the phone lines. Open your phone lines if you have questions and comments. Concerns, you're more feel free. Welcome to chime in. Let's go to the phone lines and open up the lines. Abu, tell me, call. Oh, yes. Assalamu alaikum. And back out. And comrade. Uh, yes, one of the things that um, we're dealing with right now in terms of the inner city. When that seed is planted and that mother came out and got with that brother, the child, in terms of representing a program, is that we have to deal with that. And you're correct. The program that we have to deal with has been hijacked. And I'm here to want to tell you, we know about the breakfast program. For the European, have a breakfast program. For you teach a child in school, they got to be nourished. So so they stole the buffer program. They stole all the programs that we deal with. 
and we understand this, and you gave a correct thing, and I just want to add to it. School is not school. School is your home. School is your house. If you do not teach your children moral principles, if you do not teach your children how to defend themselves when they walk out in the community and deal with a violent and immoral environment, meaning the boys that protect themselves, the sisters got to know how to protect themselves from being snatched. That's what the Panther was about. The Panther is not an organization. The Panther is your nation. The Panther is your internal inside. So I just want to drop that a little bit so we get the conversation going on. So a lot of people think Panther is a uniform and we and bars to say black power salute. No, Panther is your DNA. Mm-hmm. That means our children protected when they leave the home. When they leave the home in a Panther environment, they're going to be protected. Why? Because the community going to know. Yo, listen to me very close. Community going to know. Oh, that's a Panther child. Oh, we better not deal with that. Because when you leave your house, your house is a cocoon. And the caterpillar getting there as a worm and come out of the butterfly. We go in our home and we come out as a Panther. And everybody know who we are. You know, serious. And they're going to feel it today in this day and time. As Chevron Carr saying, they're going to feel the parents of this day and time. And don't start, it starts from the home, Black Power. Black Power. Absolutely right. Um, and that's what, and, and, and that's absolutely right. That's the first institution. And that's what freedom has to be taught. Then again, we go back into defining freedom. Freedom is taught in the home when you, when your children are taught, they should be free from fear. That they shouldn't have to fear walking in their neighborhoods. And when enough of us teach our children this and teach our children self defense, they will begin to, and not just our children, ourselves. When we start to digest this understanding, then we will have that, we will start to feel that obligation and that responsibility to make our neighborhoods a safe zone. I never understood it. How can we, that call ourselves progressive revolutionary movements, especially those that wear this black cat, especially those that wear this black cat, and understanding the historic, understanding the tradition of the Panther, live in a neighborhood that is crime-ridden, that is drug-infested, that is a um, place that is unsafe for our elderly, our women, and our children, and not be moved at the very least to go out and have a dialogue with the brothers and sisters in our community. At the very least, to be some type of influence, even if that influence is verbal. See, this is true freedom. We don't understand what freedom what freedom looks like or what freedom um, feels like. We begin to do like what the people who don't know what freedom is. We acquiesce. We begin to comply. We begin to turn a blind eye. That ain't got nothing to do with me. That ain't my child. That ain't my old lady getting beat. It's not my woman getting robbed. 
because we have acquiesced to freedom. See, a freedom-loving people can't stand for that. It's impossible to digest that when you want, when you yearn and desire for freedom. And if you don't have the wherewithal or the means to change that thing, then you begin to get with like-minded brothers and sisters, and you begin to develop methods to address some of these issues that plague you right then and there. We go all over the world, all over the city, serving everyone, and we don't start in our homes and we don't start in our communities. This is what our local chapters have to begin to do. We must start to begin institutions, and those institutions shouldn't only provide material substances. They shouldn't only address the immediate uh, physical needs, but also our institutions must address the psychological needs of our people. And if we're thinking that we don't are psychologically damaged, then it's us. If we don't think that it. we have to revolutionize, that we have to step our game up, that we have to be taught what freedom at least looks like, I can't tell you everything that freedom holds for you because everything that freedom holds for you may not be the uh, a priority on my list, but at least, what, and this is why we use the word self-determination, because everyone wants, regardless of what freedom looks like to you, everyone wants the right to practice self-determination. Everyone, any rational, sane person, wants the right to determine the destiny of their future, to determine their destiny. And so we have to be taught that we have this right. We have to be done with kowtowing and bowing down. We have to, this desire has to be put in us. And this is why it goes back again to what we believe in these high moral codes and in the sacredness of all the scriptures that came before us. Because in these things, if they're guided by a black liberation theology, you will find that inspiration and that motivation. You begin to use those principles as moral compasses. We're the only ones that don't use our religion as political manifestos. Oh, you don't think that's what they say. That's what holds us down. You don't think it works. It works. Look at the Jews. Look at the Jews. They use their scriptures to justify everything, especially the Zionists. They use their scriptures to justify taking the land of the Palestinians. You say, how do you justify going in Palestine, annexing Israel, and calling it your holy land and your homeland? They say, God gave it to us. You don't believe it works? You don't believe people do it? Look at the Arabs who use the Quran and the Sunnah of Muhammad to justify their political advancements or their political agendas. You don't think it works? Look at Rome. They use the Roman church to justify their tyranny and their oppression. If you and I, you and I get it, and since the oppressor has given it to us, and it's not so much the religion, because if it was the religion, they wouldn't use it to justify their political advancement. It is the way that you perceive the religion. It's the way that you take the religion on. When you understand that that Moses in Scripture that led the people out of Israel and led the people to freedom 
was black, when you see it being in black Moses and understand that God loves that his people should be released from bondage, you see it to be your people. When you read in the Quran that it says oppression is worse than death, and you see that, that God, that Allah is talking to the black man and the black woman, that oppression is worse than death, then you begin to do things to free yourself from that oppression because it becomes a holy obligation. This is what we're saying by being guided by a black liberation. This is why we don't get into this divisiveness of arguing with people about what you believe. It's how you believe it, how you perceive it. Because you can be a staunch atheist, not believe in anything, or you can be the most African spiritualist that you ever want to meet and go back and go into an African understanding that you still become so divisive and so, not just divisive, but so distant and um, alienate yourself from the African here in America who is going through an American experience. You're going through an American experience. You're not. The very fact that I'm coming to you in English tells me that you're going through an American experience, tells me that you and I have been victims of white supremacy because they're saying that English, a European language, is the superior language over and is more superior than any of your culture, any of your language, any of your religion, any of your, it is Eurocentric values they're saying that's superior. So we want the freedom. In order for us to have freedom to practice self-determination, we must first turn off the influences, the Eurocentric influences, the capitalist influences. Yes, I mean the capitalist influence. Some of you Negroes have got deep into capitalism. I see it. I've never seen the black cat be for sale more than I see on Facebook. We're selling the panther. And there's nothing wrong with enterprises. I believe in enterprises. But if those enterprises are not communally read, if those enterprises don't benefit the masses of the people but only that few percent, then we're emulating a capitalist society, and capitalism is just that. You must capitalize on someone's weakness, profit over people. So we should create these entities, these enterprises, that the people and start to educate our people enough to start to go into these co-ops so that we can practice collectivism and economic collectivism. This is why we believe in Nguza Saba. We believe in collective economics. We believe that everyone should eat. I'm from the streets. That used to be an old saying in the streets. If I eat, my boys eat. So I believe that my people should eat. That these businesses that we invest in and that we do, and we're taking some of our most brilliant economists and these economic minds that they should come together in these think tanks and have classes that show the people, that walk the people step by step on what this means, what the investment means, what the return is, how this business looks, what role we need people to play. But, oh, we, there we go again. When we talk about that influence, that Eurocentric influence, why? Can't trust niggas. And this what we say? Can't do business with niggas. Can't do business with niggas, but we think that we can do business with other people. And we've been so conditioned to our own detriment. What keeps us enslaved is that when you find other ethnicities and other people 
that treat you wrong, other people that beat you out of your money, other people that handle you any kind of way. We tend to have that, that, and here it is, that Eurocentric thinking from our religions, we tend to turn the other cheek. We tend to turn the other cheek. You see, we, 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 we become very forgiving. And this is one of the problems that we have. And we don't practice this forgiveness for our brothers and sisters. And we wonder what's holding us back from the road to freedom. We wonder what's hindering us from this freedom process. This is what we start begin to have to practice. We need to understand the influences that affect us, the way that we think about things. Let me send to, I just got to know, let me, let me, let me congratulate too out of Chicago and South Carolina, uh, North Carolina, to brothers and sisters that are boycotting that exploitive, uh, brutalizing foreigner who choked the sister and kicked the sister. And now we got the brothers and sisters out there boycotting their businesses, sending people away, directing them towards black-owned hair care businesses. This is what needs to happen, not just the protest. I love the fact that they're standing towards black-owned businesses. But now my question will be, I go to the next step. They've done step one, boycott. Step two, direct them to black-owned businesses. Step three, is that black-owned business giving back to the movement? These are steps that must be taken. Let me give out our number for the um, People's Black Panther Party that if you want to call and get in touch with us and reach us. Our national number is 888-595-7277. Again, our national number is 888 595 7277. Or we can be reached at People's Black Panther Party at gmail.com. Again, People's Black Panther Party at gmail.com. I'm your host, National Chairman Yang Nkrumah, People's Black Panther Party. Our lines, are, our, our lines are open if you want to talk, if you want to comment. If you have a question, just press 1. We'll recognize you, put you in queue and allow you to share with us. Our conversation now is about point number one on our 10-point platform and program, We Want Freedom. We're discussing Panther ideology, politics, and methods because for too long with the various formations, and we see too many disagreements for us to be coming out of the same manual, for us to say that we're a continuation of that glorious revolutionary party that preceded us whom we call it the People's Black Panther Party, the third development, most commonly known amongst our brothers and sisters in the community as the original Panther Party. Um, We share too much of the same information for us to have the disagreements that we have. So how are we going to achieve this freedom? How are we going to practice self-determination for our communities and our black nation? If we can't agree to sit down and formulate a strategy together. You see, that's the key to freedom. 
I understand I applaud my brothers and sisters who take up the arm and are ready to defend black people's rights. But what rights are you defending? If we don't take it to the next level, we have to be careful that we don't become sensationalists, that we don't do things for Facebook likes or that we do things so someone says, but they got a gun. I know plenty of Negroes with guns. But that we have to begin to develop the institution to defend the three Ds, brothers and sisters, defy, develop, and defend. We must define what is in the best interest of black people. We must develop what's in the best interest of black people, and we must defend what's in the best interest of black people, African people in America. These are the things that will lead to that freedom. Self-sufficiency is the only ticket. And the practice of self-sufficiency is going to start by one footstep. The journey of a thousand miles starts with one footstep. It's going to start little by little. Revolution is not an event. It is a process. We must begin the process. And that process starts in the self. We must free ourselves. Let's go to the phone line. Sister Khadija, your line is open. Greetings, brother. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good, good. I'd like to uh, give greetings to all those that are on the phone line. Um, the topic that you're talking about is very important. Uh, one of the things that stops us as a people from reaching our highest potential is the us versus them. And in the African-American community, there's so many us's and so many thems. We're finding ways to divide ourselves a thousand times. And this division is going to end up having us no pie if we continue to cut it. Uh, I had a situation today where I got pulled over by the cops. Uh, five o'clock, not speeding, no rain, nothing. And the cop was behind me. So as he pulls over, he's interested in my passenger, my son's ID, before he asked for mine. And I was like, this is a child sitting in this seat. You know, are you stopping me or are you stopping him? And this just goes into the us versus them, because when he looked at my car and saw two African-Americans driving, I was a them, and I had to be stopped, and I had to be checked and harassed and detained and questioned and have my passenger, my son, who looks like a man, but he's still a child, questioned and all of this because I was a them. In our community, we have to stop the thems. Uh, In our sisterhood and brotherhood, we have to stop them. We have to understand that we are really all us. And no matter what religion, culture you prescribe to, um, in an alley, you're going to look like a them. So we have to stay together as an us because they already have us divided. We don't need to continue the division that they've already created for us. All of that is man-made, from light skin, dark skin, from old to young, to this whole uh, African-American buck idea versus this very feminine man idea. All of this is manufactured, and we have to get back to a natural state of us without us fighting each other. 
and allowing each one of us to be who we're supposed to be in this pie. So um, the experience today just let me know how incredibly real this is in 2017 and how no one's exempt. He didn't care how much money I had. He didn't care how new my car was. He didn't care anything. He just wanted to know who was that man in my car. And so these topics and these discussions are very necessary so that we can all be aware and we can pull together stronger as us because the them is very clear. They're very clear as to their purpose. They're very clear as to who sits on what side of the fence. They have no questions. So we have to get just as convicted in our thoughts and actions so that we in the us are clearly defined. And as long as we are being productive and positive in our community, that is us. And everything else should be considered done. So uh, I, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the open phone line so that this can be shared. And uh, I applaud you and encourage you to continue your work, very wonderful work. Well, thank you so much. And I, and, and I honestly appreciate the contribution. Um, to the conversation, and that's and, and and she makes a very valid point, and that's the point that I've always just tried to make to us about our divisiveness. When she was pulled over, and you know, I know Sister Khadija is an African spiritualist. When she was pulled over, she wasn't asked was she a Moor, was she a Jew, or was she a Christian, was she a Muslim, or any of these things like that. She was pulled over because her son, they were profiled. And this is what we have to understand, but for too long, and we understand this. I mean, my chief of staff goes into it a lot uh, a lot better in explaining the uh, psychology of, of oppressed black people when it comes to that matter. But when a people are oppressed, they will do anything to disassociate themselves from the oppressed class. We will do anything to disassociate ourselves from being black, what they call us, black. I don't care. Listen, we can get into semantics. We can be Occitanians, Moors. We can be all of these things. But when we're pulled over or when they ask that police officer for a description, they say black male or black female. So the, the, the let me put you, I'm going to put you on mute, here because I think that might be your phone. Echoing. Um, so the semantics that you and I go back and forth with about what we are is only that, semantics. When it's clearly, like the sister says, a us versus them mentality that they have. And if we want freedom, then we're going to have to clearly, we're going to have to be able to defy our enemy, our oppressor, clearly. We're going to have to be able to defy that clearly. And we're going to have to be able to understand the system that they use to deny us our freedom. This is what separates the People's Black Panther Party from a lot of so-called progressive black organizations. That we understand it's not sufficient enough for us to name call, to point the finger, to saber rattle to beat our chest, but we understand that we must, like we say in the three Ds, we must begin 
to not only defy, that is defined, we define what we want. A lot of the parties do that. We defy what we want in a lot of, not just parties, but progressive uh, revolutionary organizations. They defy what they want. We want freedom to defy who the enemy is clearly. But then do we begin to develop the infrastructure and the institutions that will take us down this road of freedom? Now, this is what separates the revolutionary from the rapper. See, this is where the rubber meets the road. When we begin to develop those institutions, we wonder why when we look at the third development, whom a lot of people call the original Black Panther Party, started to bear arms. It was to it was to defend the institutions they had developed. And I'm sure Chairman Gahar can speak on that. Do we know that they begin to sabotage the newspaper? That they begin to sabotage the food stuff to run the feeding program? They begin to harass. They begin to do things to try to deter, not deter, but outright stop and bring a halt to the programs that we had for our self-sufficiency. So they understood the other third D. After they were developing these programs, they understood the necessity, the very real need to defend these programs. And when you're talking about self-sufficiency, you're talking about a matter of survival. And when you're talking about that matter of survival, then it's by any means necessary. Then it's by any means necessary. They didn't say the Black Panther Party for the offense. They didn't launch an offensive. Never what they can put us on a terrorist group. They can put us in the hate. The ACLU can label us a hate group. But I challenge any one of them to look into our history as revolutionaries and say where true revolutionaries have out, acted outside of the code of revolutionary behavior. How are you going to lump us in with these white hate groups and other hate groups? You never found a panther hanging someone from a tree. We didn't burn a black panther in anyone's front yard. We haven't tied a white man by his neck and drug him down the road until his head fell off. Why you only find the people fighting for their rights as human beings for self-determination? That's all you've ever found. You found a black people acting in a natural way. And that's fighting for their right and for self-determination, for the right to choose their own destiny. It's only natural. So we began to defend. And this is why we were the, the party for defense. We began to defend those institutions that would guarantee and ensure our freedom. And they understood that. So they attacked us on that. What did they do? They changed the laws. They began to Enrolled community support by creating their own program. You see, you tried that once. What's the old adage? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me again, shame on me. So for them to still use the same tricks and the same ploys and for us to still fall into these same traps, shame on you and I. Shame on you and I. Why we should be so much wiser than that. And they do the same thing now. Poison pen letters, but now it's not poison pen letters, it's, it's poison Facebook posts to create the seed of distrust, to sow anim, uh, animosity and hatred between progressive revolutionary organizations, the foolishness, and we fall into it because we have to ask ourselves, do we really want freedom or are we looking for some recognition and some acclaim? Let's open up the lines again to Chairman Carr. Chairman Carr, your mic is open. 
You hear me? Yes, we can. Come back, power. Come, man. Are you there? Yes, we're here. Okay, man. One of the things I want to deal with because of the program. One of what sister said. I want to deal with this program. You go. We did. Most of our breathless program, our survival program, was in. Brother, your phone's going to You listen. Yeah, your phone's coming in and out, Abu. All right, uh, let me take it out. You hear me now? Yes. Okay, one is that all our programs with this, I'll tell you how we deal with hijackers. Many of the programs were deal in the church, and it was successful in the church. Been a that program. So now you got, I don't care what they say, what they'll say. Now you got these pimp preachers coming out the prison who have been there now, and they think they know the scriptures. So it came in. I want brothers to understand there ain't no loose Negroes that take care of the program. Now here you come out the pimps coming out of the prison, now coming in hijacking. We had a breakfast program, lunch program, everything. So now the church got it. But one of the things we understand, they at least feeding people physically. They're not feeding people out of the audience. And, and the other thing that I definitely want to uh, address uh, for the comrades online, that we understand that transformation is one, is like a child being born in the womb. We still got to grow. After we come out of the womb, we're one-year-old, we're two-year-old, we're three-year-old, and our movement got to continue. We don't stop at one stop. We continue to move this movement. It don't stop in the 60s. It don't stop in the 70s. It don't stop in the 80s. We are continuous to move this movement. Going back to the program, and then we'll bring it back to the people that you owe your, uh, your host. Yes, we've been hijacked. Why? We had the best program alive. And brothers and sisters, I understand. Everybody that say they walk with you and I, the thing that distinguishes you and me and everybody else, we are a revolutionary formation. And everything that we do has been stolen. I call it hijackers. Hijack our breakfast program, hijack our clothes program, hijack all this. So what we have going for us, and I want the brothers and sisters to listen at this, the philosophy and ideology of revolutionary black nationalism. They can take your clothes, and you still run down the street. I remember teaching this. You run down the street, 
truth was taking a bath in the lake. And the lie came and stole his clothes. And the lie ran down the street. They looked there and said, oh, no, that goes a truth running down the street, but it was a lie. And when the naked truth came, I jumped out of the water and seen his clothes gone. He chased behind him. And then people said, oh, no, that goes the naked truth. Black power. Black power. Black power. Let's continue. Let's go. Let's, uh, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to let y'all marinate on that, but I'm going to go straight to my phone line. Let's open it up. Sister Nutty, your mic is open. Power to the people. Power to the people. Love you. How are you, Brother Kahar? I love you, too. Yeah, Brown Kay, I love you. Mm -hmm. What's going on? I I, want to just add on about the program. I'm going to say this. The government, they are playing a, a, a mind game with our people. They know exactly what we mean when we say free. So the way they hijack the program, they are leading us to believe, well, you know, the majority of our people, that they are giving us something. So when they go to the churches, the candies are free, and the clothing closet is free, everything free. It's difficult to get our people to come into the unity of our African community or the community of tribes or revolutionaries, whatever you want to title yourself as tonight, because everywhere we go, there's a price tag on something. It's a price tag on information. It's a price tag on uniforms. It's a price tag on if we got to come together and eat. And I mean, even with Sueyville, they didn't take anything from the people. They might have went and sold red books, and I really took a study on that. They sold red books to the college students and people that was able to afford to, you know, spend that little 80 cent. But all of that was rejuvenated back into our African communities. So I don't see anywhere where the Panthers were selling groceries or trying to sell, you know, information. And even the newspapers, the newspapers are supposed to be freely circulated so that we can have information to give out to our people. So if schools... And even Huey them says free education, right to, you know, educate our own people. So we have the right to educate our own people freely. All we have to do is take the initiative to, of course, learn from the scholars, get our own information, start researching and stop duplicating what other people are saying. And I think we can make a very, very detrimental change in pulling our people towards our community, you know, more towards our programs. An opportunity of entrepreneurship, that's just one more thing I wanted to add. We got to stop, you know, leading people to believe that their jobs and all of this stuff is what they need to survive. Survival comes from within. And I think that, you know, I'm sorry, I'm really not feeling good tonight, so excuse me. Um, I think that if we start to teach our people more entrepreneurship, teach them more to get in tune with their skills like, you know, both of the brothers were saying and get in tune with their ancestors and find who they are. I remember, you know, back in the day we were named according to what we did. You know, Booker the Carpenter, um, you know, Dale the Handyman, whatever. So 
that gave us some type of stamina of knowing that we were somebody that brought something to the table. We all got different skills. I don't care if you know about worms or somebody knows about collard greens, but it's too many things in the world for us to have to itemize, then divide, put price tags on it, and try to teach people about it. When if we rejuvenate education, I think we'll be able to make a better place for ourselves. And these are all opinions, everybody, tonight, so I'm not coming in and being biased or judgmental by anybody. Just, you know, kind of putting my two cents in. Thank you for letting me speak and power to all oppressed people and power to all the revolutionaries out here. Right on. And thank you for contributing power to the oppressed people. And, and, and you make some good and make some very valid points. But I think that this is what we go about when we talk about develop. When we talk about the second D in developing, developing those institutions that ensure our, um, our advancement. One of the ways, though, is when we begin to develop, we must develop institutions of education, and we have to develop an institution of education that teaches the evil of capitalism. There's no way around it. You know, I understand the need for, you know, and not, entrepreneurial, not entrepreneurialism the way that Nundy is speaking on, but entrepreneurialism from a capitalist way. See, at the People's Black Panther Party, we don't say buy black. That's not sufficient. We want to hear buy black because we give back. But we also support and encourage co-op. Let's be realistic, brothers and sisters. In the beginning, onset, at the very beginning, there is going to be limited participation in the capitalist system because we live in a capitalist society. But we have to stop romanticizing Africa, stop romanticizing the revolution, and begin to um, do, do some practical things and buy into these businesses and not buy into businesses as individuals, but black collective groups, economic collectives. We have to teach the people how to own that store in their community. You see what I'm saying? You, we have to board it down, building there, this and that. A lot of us don't have the capital. A lot of we can't go get the loans. But if we come together and collectively pull our resources, then we own the community. And what does that do? Not only do we have our own business in the store, but that business is more apt to be successful because everybody owns a piece of it and everybody gets a profit from it. Not only do you get the, you get the goods, but you get the profit from it. But our business mind, some of our business, when we were talking about freedom, when we're talking about freedom, we're not just talking about being, you know, having this uh, illusion of freedom. But in order to obtain real freedom, then we must first free our minds and free our minds from Eurocentric influences or capitalist imperialist influences. And so our people have to begin to understand that it doesn't make you free because you're a business owner if you don't control the materials, if you don't control the institutions that bring the materials in. Then you're just a part caught into a capitalist system. It's neocolonialism. You're blackface in white place. You're doing the same thing practicing the same system that has contributed to the demise and the oppression or the economic exploitation of African people since the inception of America. There's no way around it. So until we as a people begin to develop these co-ops, and another thing that a co-op does, something our chief of staff was teaching us, one of the reasons that our neighborhoods are in such decay that they're in is because we have a renter's mentality. Since we don't have an ownership mentality, we have apathy for where we live. We have a disconnect 
We really just, you know, we don't really give a damn to be blunt. But when you have a co-op, when a person knows that that's a part of their business and when that business is stolen from and when the insurance has to go up, then it cuts into their bottom line. It cuts into their profit. It cuts into the things that they can do or we can do as a people in our community. Let me tell you, if you if they find out that it's their grandbaby stealing, you wouldn't even have to jump on them. Go tell his grandmama who got her pennies invested in that business. We might have to pull grandmama off of So these are things self-determination instills in the people a sense of self-worth. It instills in the people a sense of pride. And this comes from having a sense of ownership. And also, when you have that sense of ownership in a cooperative, in a co-op, in a cooperative, then you also start to begin to forge the bonds of brotherhood and sisterhood. And again, brothers and sisters, we go back to the Nguza Saba. Isn't this one of the principles of the Nguza Saba? Now, when I say Nguza Saba, like there again, I know I'm referencing my chief of staff a lot tonight, but he and I have some very, uh, man, very good conversations. And like he was, he was was breaking it down to me, he said, Chairman, when we say Nguza Saba, let us explain that we're not necessarily meaning the practice of Kwanzaa. That's your personal choice. If you want to practice the act of Kwanzaa with the, you know, lighting the candles and going through the days. But the principles of Nguza Saba, the People's Black Panther Party hold to because we hold to self-determination. We hold to unity. We hold to faith. And right now, particularly, we're talking about what? Collective cooperative economics. It's imperative for a people to be successful. So none of these are absolutely right. We possess everything that we need in our community, but the first thing that has to be done is the shackles of Neocolonialism, the shackles of our oppressor psychologically have to be taken off of our mind so that we don't perceive the world through the through the lenses of the glasses that they have given us. That we begin to think outside the box. We unplug from the matrix. We understand that our behavior, when we shake these shackles and free ourselves from this yoke, then we begin to understand that certain behaviors that we display and certain things that we do, certain be, uh, uh, actions are destructive and detrimental, not to us, not just to us physically or, or individually, but to us collectively, but to us collectively. And I know it can be done. I see it every day. You see it every day. For you brothers that's living in major metropolitan areas, when you go to Chinatown, don't tell me you're not looking at Chinese nationalism. I would love for you to explain to me how that is in Chinese nationalism. When you go to little Mexico or little Cuba or little Russia and all these other places that these ethnicities live in and work in and have their stores and their buildings and their livelihood is there and their schools are there, show me how they're not practicing a nationalism. A nationalism. And a nationalism that hasn't been tainted with the hatred of an oppressor. See, this is something else that we have to shake. If we want to be free, then we have to be free of, of emotions that are destructive. Because destructive, these destructive emotions, you see, because you can act like your oppressor in both ways. We can begin to mirror our oppressor by behaving just as barbaric and just as depraved as our oppressor. 
you see. And when you do this, then when we start to exhibit this type of behavior, it hinders us from real freedom because it doesn't stop with just our oppressor, but these feelings begin to engulf us. And anybody that disagrees with us or anybody that has a different point of view, we begin to exhibit behavior that behavior of supremacy, that behavior of I'm right, that behavior of entitlement and privilege. We no longer practice some of the fundamental principles that make up socialism, which is humanitarianism, which is egalitarianism being equal in all things right and exact. I know some of us have a problem with the word socialism, so I say African communalism. We begin to run from those things that would, would encourage and propagate an African communalism, a wanting for my brother what I want for myself, a sincere desire to see better for my neighbor and better for my community and better not just for my children but all children. Because we still think that we have made it if we was, uh, have these material possessions. And we have to be realistic in building these economic institutions. Then they also have to, we have to evolve to such a degree that we find out in our quest for independence how we survive and how we maintain our socialist understanding, our communalist understanding, living in what? A capitalist society. That's a real criminal. That's a real criminal. And I'm not going to say, and why is it imperative? Because I'm not going to say communism because we have to have a communalism that addresses African people. I understand, you know, I have a little bit of respect for Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, but understand that when they develop capitalism, when their form of socialism uh, evolved into communism, excuse me, evolved into communism, they use European historical and material dialectics. They use the things that affected them as Europeans. Didn't I just give the example of Chairman Mao who understood that Marxism wasn't sufficient enough to build China after their civil war, after the communist civil war with the Chinese nationalists, the Chinese communists and Chinese nationalists. He understood that that Marxist-Leninist understanding wasn't sufficient, so now you got Maoism. It had to address their specific needs. So us, so we have the third development, whom we call the original Black Panther Party, who have left a blueprint. Now it is up to us in this development, in this formation, to take that and make that our black socialist political manifesto. The blueprint, the foundation, the roadmap to a revolutionary society. To how we will achieve these things, our demands and our wants and get our think tanks together, get our strategists and our tacticians together to come up and our economists to start to come up with methods that address us specifically. There's money in the black community. Don't think it's not or you wouldn't have these foreigners establishing stores in your community. Building off of our unaccountable spending, building off of our apathy towards one one another, one another. We're so disconnected from our motherland that we will spend with people that openly and blatantly sponsor regimes that practice atrocities in the place of your origin, Africa. 
we're so unaccountable with our spending. We will spend with 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 people that have lobbyists that go up to Capitol Hill that petition politicians that petition the politicians for tougher penalties because prisons have become privatized. A lot of the companies that you support, that I support, I try not to. I try to do intelligent spending. So these institutions have to begin not only to educate us, but to instill in us a sense of accountability and responsibility to our people. And if it doesn't affect us, because a lot of us, we're older, we've been influenced, but to have these institutions that begin to teach our children their responsibilities. And like I said, don't tell me it can't be done. It's hard, it's difficult, there's duality, but we see it every day. When you see the Asian go and get the good grades in school, that means he's learning that curriculum, but he goes home and he takes off his shoes and he speaks Japanese or Chinese or Korean, whatever he speaks in the house, and they have their diet and they practice their customs and traditions. That institution exists within his home, and by that institution existing in his home, point number one, he believes in the high moral standards of his ancestors. And this our point number one, isn't this what I said? That we believe not only do we want freedom, the freedom to practice our own self-determination, but that what we believe under that, because the 10-point platform and program is what we believe and what we, what we want, what we believe, that we believe in the high moral code of our ancestors. But how can we believe in the high moral code of our ancestors if our youth don't understand the moral code of the ancestors? don't understand and don't revere the sacrifices that our ancestors made despite what religion was placed upon them, despite what obstacle was put in front of them, despite who tried to hinder them and hold them back. They had a moral, high moral code. They wanted freedom. They wanted freedom. They wanted freedom, and they would do whatever it took to obtain that freedom. And it wasn't just freedom for themselves. They wanted freedom for their people. When we look at our ancestors and the ones that we revered, it was always they could have, they were some of the most intelligent. They're some of our most brilliant minds, outstanding men and women, who have could have easily crossed over and lived uh, a privilege. I don't want to say comfortable. I don't think that you could ever be comfortable in servitude and bondage, but could have lived a life of privilege, but they continue to fight for their people. Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, how many trips did she make back and forth? These were our people. So they understand they had a high moral code. This is what we talk about when we talk about that high moral code. Yet you and I, you and I will bicker. You and I will debate. You and I will argue about a religious practice, missing the whole point of it. When that religion is driven, when that religion is interpreted from a position of yearning and desire for freedom, then let him have his religion. If that religion breeds another Nat Turner, if that religion brings to us another El Haj, Malik Shabazz, another Malcolm X, if that religion rises up amongst our very midst, another Harriet Tubman, then have your religion. Then have your religion. Let's go to the phone lines. I'm opening up the phone lines. 
Area code 708-4323. Your mic is open. Yeah, respect, respect, man. It's for calling, man. Man, respect for calling, man. Thank you for calling in, brother. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've sat and I've listened to you. You, you. you know, you've always been an eloquent speaker, and you've always made a lot of sense in uh, what you said. You know, and I appreciate that. And I, I, I listened to the sister before you, and I listened to the brother. I believe that we can begin the process of having all of these things. But I think the very first thing that we need to do we need to get rid of Negroes from these uh, organizations, these so-called conscious Africans, which are really conscious Negroes. Who, <laughs> right on. Who, yeah, who, who, really, who, who really call themselves uh, 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 heads of organizations, but they sit back and they be lazy and they let everybody else do the work and then take all the credit for it. You need to get rid of people like those. People like them, they undermine real people who are trying to have an organization and do stuff for black people. And if you keep, you know, uh, uh, trying to use and take advantage of real people, then those real people get tired and they fall back into being Negroes again from conscious people. And it's because of these Negroes. They're pretty much like agents. You know what I'm saying? So I agree with everything that you said that we can that we can have, and I agree with with, with the sister said. But but what that what that other conscious brother said is Negroes who are jealous of other organizations because because other organizations prosper and they do more for the people, and and you can actually readily see instead of just people just talking, saying what they're gonna do or saying what they have done as opposed to people who have actually done things for people and you see results. You know what I'm saying? So in my closing, I believe that we can have exactly what you said and exactly what the sister said. We just need to weed out these Negroes coming in conscious clothing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's right. That's right. And and for Coley, you got your radio program uh, established yet? Uh, it'll be up real soon, man. I'm just taking a breather okay, right now. Okay, well, just call in and let us know, man. That's my dear brother, man, for Coley Dumbia. When he gets his program up and running, please check him out. Brother's very informative. Brother goes into some details on some heavy things. Brother's studious. And uh, I'm, I'm willing to guarantee you won't be disappointed listening to him. Listen, Pacola, as soon as you get it up, man, you know, line is always open to you. Call, man, and make sure you always plug it on this station here. I want to be one of the ones saying you heard it here first. Respect, man, and you know when you uh, when you uh, always have some, you know, let me know. You know what I'm saying? Let me know that it's you. Right on, right on, right, 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 right on, here, brother. Come back, come back. So that's 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 but like the brother said, and the brother is 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 so right, you know. And this is where we go back again to that high moral code of the ancestors. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take some checking, some people. You know, this is why I'm not a, what I would call a an extreme black supremacist. I'm not an extreme. I believe that black people are very worthy, very talented, very gifted, man. We're outstanding. The originators, cream of the crop, creme de la creme. 
Don't ask me about anybody black. But I'm not a extreme black supremacist because I understand that all my skin folk ain't my kin folk. You see, no longer will you fool me on that black skin issue. You're not going to get me because you're going to come brother man, this and that. This is why at the beginning of black nationalism, we put revolutionary. Because a revolutionary is an internationalist. The revolutionary is anti-oppression. And that means for any people. Like Sister Nunny say, like I open up the show with, all powers to oppress people. We don't want to see oppression for any people. They say, well, brother, then why black? If you're a revolutionary, then why black nationalism? Then this and that. Because I, I believe wholeheartedly in order for African people to carry their weight in an international revolutionary struggle, they must begin to free their ass. They must understand their place. Isn't this one of the points of our platform? And I don't want to get too ahead of our time because we're going to touch on all the points, but it says that we want an education that teaches us the true history of this decadent society and the black man's place and role in it, and that's not just in this society, but that's internationally, that's in a revolutionary movement that due to our not being free mentally and having this uh, under underprivileged and this uh, second class and this slave mentality us wanting to be divorced from being an African here in America so bad that we will lend our aid and our effort and our support to every other national struggle or international struggle while overlooking our own. And believe me, their struggles are nationalist. There's nothing wrong with that. That is not a bad word. Well, I'm, I'm a big supporter of freedom for the Palestinians. I believe, and I'll say it on the air, that Israel is illegal. I believe the annexation of Israel was illegal and it was wrong based on no other reason than your interpretation of the scripture of your God. I do believe, I believe that what is happening in Israel is the equivalent of what happened in Africa. If, I mean, uh, happening in Palestine is equivalent to what happened in Africa. I believe that the Zionists and not Jewish. Let us understand this is the importance of political education. I'm not anti-Jewish, but I am anti-Zionist. And I believe that they're practicing a form of apartheid against the Palestinian people. So I support the Palestinian people's cause. Understand that. I support my brown brothers. Please understand that. Understand how those are national struggles. We will aid and contribute and lend in our support and rally to everyone's national cause. And then when you say that I'm a black nationalist for the black cause, you'll find us. Hey, man, I ain't got nothing to do with that, man. I love Arab people. When did I say I didn't? See, this is what I mean by being free from our minds. We have been conditioned that when certain things apply to us, that it's a bad word. If you aid the Palestinian cause, nationalism, Palestinian nationalism. If you're for our brown brothers and sisters and what's happening to the Mexican, Mexican nationalism. If you don't like what's about to happen to Cuba with them opening up and beginning to participate in a free market, Cuban nationalism. So there's nothing wrong with black people saying, hey, where do we fit in this world scale? That's why it's called a human race. A human race. It's the human race. And where are we on the sidelines pouring the, pouring the Gatorade? We're the cheerleaders for everybody else in the human race. We better begin to get in and participate quickly. Let's go back to our mics. 
I'm going to open up the mics. This is your brother, your host, uh, National Chairman Yang Kuma, People's Black Panther Party, Independent Black Talk Radio. Let's open up our mics. We got Sister Nundy again back on the line. I've seen you, Chairman Rod, too. Like you just found me a little late. Sister Nundy, your mic is open. You know, I had to get in on that. That brother, ugh, he said some real powerful stuff, and I so agree. I'm really ready for that. We have to take some type of initiative and take a stand. If Huey them could, you know, go and check certain organizations, and I'm sorry they had to crush some damn skulls for them to understand that this revolution and our lives is not to be played with, then we got to do that. We got to make our people understand. We got some tom-ass Negroes out here that has been out here since the beginning of the time all the way back to the Anthony Johnson's and indigenous servitude. We have always had those that has been haters of the motivators and the warriors of our villages and tribes. This is how slavery even started. So in order for us to sponge it, we have to get rid of those that are cross-dressing on us and are being informants, infiltrators, procrastinators, those that are playing and out here wearing that same kit. And I say that to everybody. That kit means a lot to a lot of people. It's not about the fact of what people look at as saying that it's our anger or attitude. It's the strength. It's the understanding. It's something that we stand for. And for real people out here that want revolutionary change. We first got to start with funding our own communities. We can scream all about supremacy, but supremacy starts with the people that are closer to us. Brother Yanga has taught us forever. Our skin folks are not all our, I mean, our kin folks, skin folks is not all our kin folks. They're going to send people that look just like us. They're going to put people in uniforms. They're going to hire idiots that just don't understand what it means to have unity amongst our people, and they're going to come out here and cause a lot of radical things to happen in our communities and to downgrade who we are. Counterintelligence, irregardless of if Gayek or Hoover created this back in the day, we still need to study those things because here today, those manipulating tactics are still being used because we still fail to do some things. One, to destroy all of the injustices, and the only way to destroy the injustices is to stop, one, adhering to their laws, listening to the bias laws, and separating ourselves from their particular systems, and that's, that's legislative, judicial, and executive. I understand that a lot of people might not think that, but I revolutionary politics. We don't care about their politics, and I'm going to be very short. Revolutionary politics, and I think what Brother Yang and Brother Kahar is trying to specify with that, the politicking of what we are going through right now. We got a whole bunch of people out here pushing slaveonomics, and I'm not afraid to call them out. It's a bunch of new Black Panther Party members. It's a bunch of Nation of Islam members, and it's a bunch of infiltrators that has taken our leaders out and have tried to, whether it was by counterintelligence, murder, or manipulation. Yeah, they need to be stopped. But we need to get with the real soldiers on this phone and outside of these guidelines that knows what needs to be done and start to reorganize, reconstruct, and rebuild our organization without all the infiltrators so that we can quit being torn down. This is 3GP, third-generation Panthers. The first generation started with Huey and Brother Kahardem. The second generation was with Tupac Shakur, and today we need to be making a change for ourselves. Power to all oppressed people and revolutionary power to all my brothers and sisters on the line. Thank you. All power to oppressed people. Let's open up the mic. Let's go to uh, Chairman Kahar. 
a man. Um, uh, listen, was was uh, my mic open? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what that sister was saying, it was so correct. First of all, let's look at the language. Counterintelligent. Sister, yeah, uh, sister, I love you very much. The first thing is counterintelligent. If we weren't intelligent, that wouldn't they wouldn't have not to counter us. See, counter ignorance, ignorance itself destroys itself. But because we have an intelligent movement and we are at war, it's called counterintelligent program. That means that they have to set people's coming in and infiltrate our intellect and our intelligence and call counterintelligence program. But I'm going to leave that alone right now. But what I want to say, this is very clearly to the comrade. What we're dealing with ain't nothing new. And I won't drop something down because uh, my beautiful sister dropped it down. You fighting, and we fighting a year-old and a hundred-year-old war to maintain genocide against us as a people. The other thing, when we talk about Panthers, when we talk about Panthers, there are going to be many brothers and sisters going to say we Panthers. Right now, my sister made it clear. They'll make it clear to everybody right now, and they'll get off the phone. And this chairman called careful with the formation. Counterintelligence pro, uh, program was set up formation, and you think that you Panthers, but you were reactionary. I'm not dealing with anything spookism. I'm an elder, and I'm dealing with warfare, counterintelligence warfare. Those who are working toward the Panthers are working toward the liberation of African people. And whenever you get a Panther Party that's working towards disruption, when one formation want to destroy another formation, another formation saying that we're going to support the sisters, another formation say we don't recognize the chairman leadership, we got to understand that we have war and we got to be mature. This comes from the chairman. I'm saying this ain't a boys club. This is not a boy scout. Now the girl, uh, uh, a Girl Scout, we are a revolutionary political party, and we are here and rooted, and we're here to win. Now, you're here for games, you better get off the boat, because ain't about no uniform, ain't about no chairman, about no uh, uh, position. If you ain't here for the revolution, Chairman Carl said, get off the damn boat, Black Power. That's right. Black power, black power. That's and that was Chairman Kahar coming in. Uh, again, you're listening to the People's Life Panther Party. I'm your host, National Chairman Yang and Kruma, Independent Black Talk Radio. Uh, let's go to our phone lines again. Two six nine four four six nine. Your mic is open. Hold on, can we hear you? We can't. Black power. Your mic is open. Okay. Yeah. No, okay. Hey, you got that? You want to get it? I'm a. Black power. 
I, what I was saying, brother, I, I'm, I'm uh, brother chairman. I'm so happy that you 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 picked this topic because um, I listened to Sister Nundy. I, I heard uh, brother Kahar. I hear um, everybody uh, is is putting this stuff down the way it really is is said. You know, especially when you start talking about the reactionaries and individuals that are actually doing things that um, we say we want freedom, and, and and why can't we come together? You know. Uh, but I like to bring things uh, into some form of reality. Um, just for an example, if you use an illustration, we have individuals who are doing what's called a caravan for uh, victims of violence. These are former, um, former or people who claim that they, they wear that cat. And they are going through the neighborhood, and they're going through the neighborhood, and they're talking about uh, let's, uh, let's caravan and, and ride through the neighborhood and say, uh, stop the violence. I, I, I still am in my mind trying to figure out how that helps our people. And I, I, I don't understand. And, you know, one, one time somebody told me everybody has something that they need to do in this struggle. But I really, for the life of me, do not understand how peace walks and um, caravan lives and how these things actually help our community. These are the same individuals that refuse to get out here and um, do programs for the children, to do um, mentorship for these individuals, the young people who are joining the street organizations to their detriment. These are the same individuals that refuse to do that, then turn around and get kickbacks from the local government. They get money in order to be able to do this, and they know for a fact by wearing that tax you're not supposed to Accept uh, governmental funds, but by the same token, as I said, I spoke with, um, I listened to uh, Queen Nundi, I listened to Brother Kahar, and we are all saying the same thing. You got individuals talking about, well, I'm not going to recognize this one as a chairman. I'm going to destroy these people as a chapter, and this is the same thing that we deal with every single day when we decide that we want to be able to do something to help our people. Our national chairman Yang is the only one that seems to be trying to bring some semblance of togetherness, togetherness for us to be able to operate because it's really hard to say, well, okay, I'm going to um, I'm, I'm going to work with these individuals. I know they steal from the people, but I'm going to try to work with them anyway. Oh, well, I know that these people um, exploit the women, but I'm going to try to work with them anyway. It is utterly, almost nearly impossible to work with individuals like that. So what it is that we have to do as a people we got to jump out there, and a lot of times it's just a handful of us jumping out there, doing things on our own, this one or two of us, when you have these other people that's doing these caravans and making these big old blasts, they want to do these big old blasts, but then when it comes time for folks to get recognized for their after-school program, for their food program, for, for their um, health program, these individuals ain't going to invite you to that. They're not even going to tell you about that but they want you to support something that does absolutely nothing for the community. And I just said that to say, you know, I like to bring things into some form of realism. You know, the realism for me is that I recognize that the reason why we have those freedoms is because we have individuals who sabotage us on our left and on our right hand, and it is an all-day thing. Not only do they sabotage us, but they are actually uh, suffering from what I call a lot of us, um, I'm not even going to say us, a lot of black folks are very jealous of the next individual. They're so jealous that they would rather make sure that 100 kids don't get a program just so that they can have their time in the sun. But, again, I want to tell everybody that's on this phone tonight, 
if you truly believe everything that you're saying, we need to all be able to get together and make something happen. Black power and all power to oppress people. And my big ups to my national chairman, Yangden Cooper. Black power. I appreciate the accolades, man. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, but what, what, what we can contribute uh, when we look at the contribution and what I contribute and what I try to work with people, uh, especially in the different formations, because I know there's a lot of cats that have a lot of personals that's hard to work with in different formations, but what I look to is to raise a revolutionary consciousness. You know, I look to um, be, I look to raise that consciousness and to be, try to be the example. I understand that one of the things that I understand is that the revolutionary has a type and that the revolutionary having a type is a constant evolution. It's a constant process. It's a constant trying to evolve, a constant rectification of some of the wrong thinking that we have. So once we raise the consciousness level, once we raise the standard of what a panther is, I think that the masses, because I believe in all power to the people, I think that the masses of people will begin to make the distinction. You see what I'm saying? The masses of people, if we raise the revolutionary consciousness, if we raise the standards of what it means to be a revolutionary, if we set that bar, then the masses of people will begin to see these counterproductive, these reactionary, these counterrevolutionaries who disguise themselves, especially those who disguise themselves as Panthers for what they are. And they will address them, at the very least address them if they don't get them and rip them from limb to limb. But if we, I think there's an old saying that if two people, if a wise man argues with a fool, then it's hard to distinguish who the wise man is. So I think that our actions are going to be just that. Our actions have to be such. Our behavior has to be such. Our speech has to be such. Our process has to be such that the people can make that distinction. And this is what's this is what's going to happen. We have a lot of people out there that are reformists. We got some people wearing that cat. And me personally, I would love to go rip patches off and buttons off. Um, but unfortunately, they're not in my formation, so I don't I don't have that right. I don't reserve the right to do that. But what I can do is present such a face to the masses of the people that the masses of the people will begin to make the distinction between what a revolutionary is and what a revolutionary isn't. And this is what I encourage, you know, all of our our people to do, all of our people out there that have some some sincere revolutionary uh, understanding and revolutionary love in their hearts, is to begin to lift the bar, begin to raise the standard, to begin to do that. Then um, the people, it's it's it really is all power to the people, and I think that a lot of these formations have forgotten that. We got five minutes to go in. I see Nundy wants to come back in the queue, and then he got five minutes, so I can give you a minute of it. Your mic is open. You know, I'm not gonna even take a minute. I just, I, I gotta be real specific. I understand all this stuff about the unity, but we gotta get out of the raw raw and get into reality. We cannot stand beside a bunch of bootlicking Uncle Tom Negroes that has been designed, that has been trained to keep up defenses in the face of attacks since the beginning of time. When we start yeah. screening some of these people, start checking some of these backgrounds, we're going to find out a lot of these people weren't meant for the revolution anyway. Stop worrying about numbers and start worrying about those that are going to bring power to the structure. Secondary, there are a lot of people out here that are doing the work. The masses have already distinct the fake from the real. 
I think this is why the masses are not joining the organization. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I just got to be real. They know what's fake and what's real. We got to stop undermining our own people. We acted just like the supremacists of the world. How can you sit here and think that our people have not paid attention to what's going on around us? This is why they I won't join that. the new black the new Black Panther Party and all these other individuals. Stop being scared. They said the Malik Zulu Shabazz, the Hashim and Zingas, most of the people that came out there, entourage, Elijah Muhammad. We can go down a list, Crystal Muhammad. See, I'm not scared to speak on those that needs to be moved. We're going down. And that's all I wanted to say, power to the people. Power to the people. And I didn't want to cut you off. I wish we came in with that earlier because we're going down to like two minutes. And I want to close out. And she says it, she says it right. I'm not one. To call and she and I, we go through this thing um, that we do go through. My thing is, like I said, I know the people know the distinction, you know, but raise the raise the raise the conscious level. I'm not gonna call those organizations know who they are. I'm not gonna call names because I'm not into the divisiveness. I don't stand by the BS, but I do feel like that we got enough things to keep us divided for me to go around pointing the finger at some of these organizations. I think that when everybody starts to begin to work, like I said, it goes back again. It's impossible for us to say, well, we always blaming the white man. We blame the white man. Then turn around and say, but that nigga did this. That nigga did that. Let's work on ourselves. I'm willing to guarantee people if we begin to work on ourselves, we will start to begin to see that change affected around the people around us. And just like roaches, when you turn on the light, roaches scatter. When we exhibit a revolutionary consciousness and a revolutionary behavior, that now you say revolutionary consciousness and revolutionary behavior, we will begin to attract. I believe in the law of attraction. We'll begin to attract that. I don't believe we have really presented that to the masses of people or the masses of people because nobody runs from their own salvation. So once that thing is presented to the masses of people, I believe that the masses of people will run to it. Hey, listen, I wish I had more time to go back and forth with the sister because that goes into a good, very good discussion. Um, and with that, I'm going to leave you. I always speak to you. I'm your your host, National Chairman Yang and Kuma, People's Black Panther Party, Independent Black Talk Radio, All Powers to Oppress People, African Power to an African People, and Black Power. Yo, all I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front, my face on the front page. Only if I had one gun, one girl, and one crib, one God to show me how to do things as sun did. Pure, like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151, one sip, I'll make a nigga flip. Writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence, who I'm gon' body. This hood politics, acknowledge it. Leave bodies chopped up in garbage. Seeds watch us, grow up and try to follow us. Police watch us, roll up and try knocking us. One I just could it be my time is up with my love I got up the cop shot again bus stop glass burst a fiend drops a Heineken ricocheting between the spots that I'm hiding in blacking out I shoot back fuck getting hit this is my hood I'm a rat to the death of it to everybody come on little niggas is grown hood rats don't abortion your wound we need more warriors soon sent from the stars sun and the moon and it's like a police chase the street sweepers and coppers sick up kids with no conscience leaving victims with doctors if you really think you're ready to die
need is one mic. All I need is one blunt, one page, and one pen, one prayer. Tell God, forgive me for one sin. Matter of fact, maybe more than one. Look back at all the hatred against me. Fuck all of them. Jesus died at age 33. That's 33 shots from twin glocks and 16 apiece. That's 32, which means one of my guns was holding 17. 27 hit your crew. Six went into you. Everybody gotta die sometime. Hope your funeral never get shot up. Bullets tear through the innocent. Nothing to spare. Niggas roll up. Shooting from wheelchairs. My heart is Racing, pacing, revenge in the air I let this shit slide for too many years Too many times, now I'm strapped with a couple of max. Too many nines, if y'all niggas really with me Get busy, load up the semis Do more than just hold it, explode the clip until you empty There's nothing in our way, they bust, we bust They rush, we bust, let's fly and feel it I feel it in my gut that we take these bitches to war Lie them down, cause we stronger now My nigga, the time is now I need this one mic